0: Good morning, pastors and ministry leaders. Thank you so much for joining us and welcome to the Nigerian Pastors Podcast. My name is Shegun Ayegusi, and I am a pastor and founder and director of the Gathering Faith Leadership Network. We are a pastoral training ministry in the city of Joss in Kato State, Nigeria, and our mission is to encourage, equip, and strengthen pastors and ministry leaders. The Nigerian Pastors Podcast is the audio ministry of the Gathering Faith Leadership Network, and we aim to achieve two goals through this podcast. One, we want to minister to the pastor's heart and stir up in you a greater love for Jesus Christ. The fact is, when a pastor is in awe and in love with Jesus Christ, it will result in emotionally and spiritually healthy ministry leaders who lead thriving churches. And our second goal through this podcast is to equip you with practical biblical teaching for ministry so that you can grow in your knowledge of God's word and become more effective in preaching and teaching through the Bible. It is our ongoing prayer that the Holy Spirit of God accomplishes both of these goals in your life as you listen along. Welcome again, and thank you for listening. Hey, I wanna welcome you, so glad you could join us today. Man, I am so excited about where we are heading next with this podcast. And a, a little background, for the last nine episodes since the launching of the Nigerian Pastors Podcast, we have focused primarily on content that has to do with the inner life of the pastor and you know the practical aspects of ministry that happen in church and, and behind the scenes. Well starting today with today's episode and really all through the month of December and even January, we are going to switch gears a little bit and focus on Biblical sermons um, because quite frankly, you know every pastor needs a good biblical sermon once in a while that encourages their souls and strengthens their faith in Jesus Christ, right? So so pastors spend week after week preaching to others. Well, every now and then you just need someone to speak into your life. So uh, we're gonna focus on teaching specific things in the Bible. and the other reason why we're doing this is that as a pastor, sometimes hearing a really good sermon, is what you need to sometimes generate ideas for what to preach to your congregation next. And so here at the Nigerian Pastors Podcast, for the month of December 2021, our podcast episodes will focus in on uh, the Christmas story these next four weeks in December. We're going to focus in on four unexpected characters, in the story of Christmas. Uh, We're going to discuss the events of Jesus' birth from Earth's perspective and from Heaven's perspective. In fact, one of the episodes that I'm really looking forward to in the next few weeks is titled The Lady and the Dragon, based on the events of Revelation 12, which is really the Christmas story that no one ever tells. In fact, I may save that one for the week of Christmas. And then in January 2022, we're going to launch into another Bible series about the end times. We're going to look at current events and biblical events and see where Jesus says we are on the timeline of the end of the age, what we should be doing as Christians while we wait for His return, and really what to expect in the coming days. So man, like I said, I am super excited about where we are heading next with the Nigerian Pastors Podcast, and I can't wait for you to listen to these episodes and invite your friends to join us and subscribe on either one of our streaming platforms. In today's episode, we are launching into the December Christmas season by looking at the life of Mary, that's the wife of Joseph, and the appointed mother of the Son of God, Jesus Christ. You know, Mary's life presents for us a very different perspective on what Christmas is all about, especially if you compare her life and her story with the events surrounding Jesus's birth and the events surrounding the last 24 hours of Jesus's life. There's a lot that we can learn from from this woman, and once again, we're doing this series because we want to encourage you as pastors, but also we want to give you ideas for for what to teach this Christmas, or we'll provide resources as you're thinking about what to teach in these coming weeks. So, uh, concerning Mary, there are at least five accounts in the Gospels where we read about Mary, the mother of Jesus. The first time that we meet Mary is usually at the beginning of the Gospels, during the announcements of the birth of Jesus Christ and all the drama that goes with that. The second time we read about Mary in the Scriptures and the Gospels is when she and Joseph lose 12-year-old Jesus in a Jewish temple in Luke chapter 241. The third time we read about Mary is when she wants Jesus to make more wine at a wedding party and Jesus performs this his first miracle in John chapter 2. The fourth time we read about Mary is when she wants to spend some personal time with her son Jesus in Matthew chapter 12, but then Jesus doesn't really spend time with his family because he redefines what family is. And then, of course, there's this account in John's gospel that we're looking at today where she basically watches helplessly as her son suffers on the cross, and and he in turn entrusts her care to one of his disciples. And and we're going to learn in today's episode, we're going to learn how to truly love our mothers from this Christmas story, but more importantly, I think we're going to learn about the kind of woman Mary was. So, let's go. John. Chapter 19, verse 25 to 27. Here's what it says. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother. Now, remember, Christ is on the cross, right? He's dying, he's on the cross. It says, near the cross of Jesus stood his mother. His mother's sister was also there. That's Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. Verse 26. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, woman, here is your son. And then to his disciple, Jesus says, here is your mother. And from that time on, this disciple took her into his home. All right, let's talk a little bit about Mary, because this, this woman that we see at the foot of the cross who whom Jesus is speaking to while he's dying is a is very different from the teenage girl that we met at the beginning of the Gospels, right? Because here in John chapter 19, when Jesus is speaking to her from the cross, this is like somewhere around 30 plus years later. Mary is older now, obviously. She's probably in her 40s, probably early 50s. She has probably been a widow for several years since we don't really hear about Joseph after that event when Jesus was 12 years old. And so it's safe to say Mary has been through her own hardships, right? Well, on this particular afternoon at the cross of Jesus Christ, where Jesus speaks to her, this woman is about to hit an emotional low point because a prophecy that was made to her a long time ago by a prophet named Simeon is about to be fulfilled right before her very eyes. If you remember in Luke chapter 2, verse 33 to 35, which was about 30 something years earlier, Mary and Joseph had taken baby Jesus to the temple. To be dedicated, when a man of God named Simeon, who I think he was blind, takes Jesus from her, puts him in his arm, and basically says these words in Luke 2.33. He says to Mary, This child of yours is destined to cause many in Israel to fall, but he will be a joy to many others. He has been sent as a sign from God, but many will oppose him. As a result, the deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. And then Simeon says these ominous words. He says to Mary, and a sword will pierce your very soul. Can you imagine a teenage mom, right? Because Mary is probably still a very young girl at this point. Can you imagine a teenage mom or a teenage pregnant girl um, um, receiving this kind of prophetic news? I don't even think Mary fully understood what Simeon must have meant when he said this. I I could only imagine. She probably figured, well, this is going to mean something bad later on down the line, a sword piercing your soul. And to Mary's horror, that moment that Simeon prophesied had now arrived when we get to John chapter 19. Now, before we actually dig into what happens at the cross and what Jesus says to his mother, Mary, um, let me back up in time a little bit and let's actually see what life must have been like as a parent Raising up Jesus, because no one ever talks about that. Because if you think about it, and and hear me out on what I'm going to say before you make a judgment, if you think about it, Jesus was sort of a problem child for Mary, not because of his character or because of his behavior, but because of the timing of his arrival. Like remember, like 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 the announcement of his birth came at the worst moment possible in any girl's life. Right, this girl is engaged. She's about to get married, right? Like like I have known and I have worked closely with a few brides to be in ministry. And, and I can tell you one thing for sure. The last thing on any bride's mind is an unplanned pregnancy, right? When she's getting ready for her wedding. And so here is, you know, Mary, she's minding her own business. She's falling in love with a godly Hard working man named Joseph who wants to marry her, right? Mary is, she's planning her wedding day, she's picking out her cake, she's picking out her flowers, she's looking for the right Allah guy, and and most importantly, she's looking for the right wedding dress. And out of nowhere, this angel comes from God, shows up at her doorstep, and says, You are highly blessed and favored, which is a good thing to hear from God, except what it means for Mary. Is that she is about to have a child out of wedlock and will need to convince her fiance, her family, and all her neighbors that her pregnancy was from God. Can you imagine how crazy that must have sounded to some people? Like, from a teenage girl's perspective, that does not sound like being highly favored and blessed. That sounds like trouble. And keep in mind also that Nazareth was a small town where everyone knew everyone else's business. So you can imagine the rumors and the whispers that would have begun to spread about her pregnancy when she was starting the show. Now, fortunately for Mary, God had gone ahead of her and revealed to her husband Joseph in a dream that Mary was indeed telling the truth and that the child in her was conceived of the Holy Spirit. And that was good for a moment, but, but shortly after that, things become even a little more complicated when it was finally time for her to give birth because you know she has to relocate and travel on a long journey because of a census. And when they finally get to their final destination and it's time for her to have a baby, well, they can't even find an empty delivery room, much less a doctor. And when Jesus was finally born, listen, Jesus was born in the most unhygienic environment any child could be born in. I know when we think about a manger, we usually think about pictures of a, of a warm place that's lit with barn and hay. On Listen, a manger is not a warm, cozy place. A manger is an outdoor place where animals eat. If you've ever been to where they sell cows or goats, and you see like that's like that's what a manger is. It is a nasty, disgusting place. Which, if you think about it, the Son of God chose not to come on a private jet. He chose not to ride on the chariots of the high-ranking Romans, but rather Jesus entered the world not as a pampered, privileged ruler, but rather He came in the meekest and most humbling, approachable form. So that we could identify with him, and and Mary had to endure all of this, but even all of that is only the beginning of the burden that Mary had to bear as the mother of Jesus. I, I mentioned it earlier, but there's actually another occasion that happens twelve years after Jesus was born, right? Um, twelve years after Jesus is born in Luke chapter two, it says that Mary and Joseph uh, lost him, right? Like they, I, I keep every time I think about that story, I always laugh because you know. Uh, I'm a parent, and I don't know if you've had this, but its if you've ever been a parent, you've been with your child in public, and you turned around and that child wasn't there, there's this brief, sickening moment where you're like, did I just lose my child? And the panic that sets in right when you think your child has been kidnapped, well, that's what happened to Mary and Joseph on this day. Poor Mary's probably thinking to herself, I just lost God's son, what am I going to do? Well, in Luke 2, they basically track down Jesus back to the temple. They find him talking to scholars, impressing the Jewish scholars, and when they reprimand him for basically saying, "Hey, why did you why did you leave us and make us panic?" Jesus tells them he's like, hey, "Well, didn't you know I'd be in the house of my father? Like where else would I be?" And I have to imagine Mary's like, "Oh my goodness, how am I going to raise this kid?" Now, uh, in fairness to teenage Jesus, in Luke chapter 2 verse 51, it says that Jesus went back home with them and was a very obedient child. But I think that itself, that in itself is a problem because how in the world are you supposed to raise the son of God in your own home? Because Jesus was like, was a child like no other child that has ever lived. You know, I'm a parent and as a parent, when my little children do something that they shouldn't do and I step in to correct them or show them a better way, it makes me feel more like a father, right? Like I'm there, I'm helping them. But how in the world are you supposed to raise a child of God who not only doesn't sin, has no sin, but someone who you also know in the back of your mind is divine and probably knows everything you're thinking before a word is on your lips? Not only that, this child whom Mary loved dearly and raised as her own, eventually grows up, right? He gets older, he leaves home to start his own ministry. He rarely comes home to visit because he's on a mission from God, and the one time in Matthew chapter 12 where he comes back to where he grew up, his mother says she wants to spend some one-on-one time with him, and in Matthew 12:48 Jesus says to her, who is my mother? Or he says to the people who come to invite him, he says, no, nah, not nah, like who is my mother? Who are my brothers? Then he pointed to his disciples and said, "Look, these are my brothers and sisters." As a mom, could you imagine hearing your child say that to you? But yet, in spite of all that Mary had to do even when she raised the Son of God, not once do you ever hear Mary complaining about having to raise Jesus as her own son. In fact, there's a passage in Luke chapter 2 verse 19 that I think perfectly captures Mary's humble spirit. It says in that verse, but Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. What an incredible woman of God. You know, even though she and Joseph would have other children after Jesus was born, including James and Jude, you could be certain that Jesus, as her firstborn, held a special place in her heart all the days of her life. I mean, she was his Lord and Savior, right? Well, all of that background about Jesus and Mary Leads us to this Friday afternoon on the cross at the hill of Golgotha, where Jesus has been nailed to the tree. He's been nailed to the cross. Now, now remember, Jesus has been arrested in the garden at night. So that means that at some point around midnight, Mary was probably woken up and told that her son is in serious trouble with the religious authorities. And so she somehow, by the time Mary gets to Jesus, he's been, you know, he's gone through a lot. He's hanging on the cross. And when she finally sees Jesus on the cross, he looks nothing like her baby boy she remembers. Jesus has been battered, he's been bloodied, I mean, he looks like he's been slaughtered and is just waiting for death to release him. And this is that moment, by the way, that Simeon prophesied to her many decades ago, remember? Simeon says to her, and a sword will pierce your soul. That's what Mary was experiencing when she's watching Jesus on the cross. And man, no words can describe the level of anguish that Mary was feeling on this afternoon. Now let's step away from Mary for just a brief moment and I want you to consider all that Jesus has been through over the last few hours because when we think about that, it'll put in perspective the words he says to Mary. So let's backtrack. Jesus has been betrayed by a close friend with a kiss. He's been abandoned by the large crowds of people who were praising him a week before on Palm Sunday, saying, Hosanna in the highest, right? Those guys have left him. His own disciples have run away. In fact, the scripture says one of the disciples ran away naked out of fear. Jesus has been dragged to seven different, I'm sorry, six different court trials He's been beaten. He's been mocked. He's been spat on. He's been flogged. He's been punched. He has been sentenced to the worst punishment known to man, crucifixion. While he's hanging on the cross, people keep insulting him. Even a fellow prisoner who's dying on the cross is making fun of him, mocking him. And then the worst of all, a little later on that afternoon, the Father himself, God the Father, would have to turn his face away from the Son because of the sin of the world that Christ was carrying on himself. And so Jesus, at this point on the cross, he's he's lonely, he's exhausted, he's in pain, he can barely breathe, he's dying of thirst, and literally just only a few hours from death. No one expects anything from him at this point but simply for him to hang his head and die. Yet, John chapter 19, the very verse we start started with, tells us that it's at this moment, at the lowest point of weakness, that Jesus demonstrates an incredible act of compassion toward the most unexpected recipient, his mother Mary. Let me read John chapter 19, verse 25 to you again. It says, "...near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene." Apparently, there's a lot of Marys in the Bible. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved, by the way, whenever scripture says disciple whom he loved, it's often referring to John. It says, when Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, Woman, here is your son. And then to the disciple, he said, Here is your mother. And from that time on, this disciple took her, that's Mary, into his home and basically treated her like his own mother. Now, when you consider, think about that passage for a moment, right? And consider, when you consider the condition Jesus is in, this is, this act is extraordinary. I mean, this guy has death hovering over him, yet he still takes a moment to give one last set of instructions so that his mother, Mary, would be taken care of till her dying day. But even if Jesus were not dying on the cross for the sin of the world, this act is worthy of the son of the year award. But the question is, why would Jesus single out his mom, Mary, to be cared for at this last moment? Well, there are a few reasons. Number one is, well, Jesus wasn't wealthy. You know, he didn't have this, he didn't have a home. He didn't even have a place to lay his head. And he didn't have earthly possessions to pass on to Mary to live on. Not only that, Joseph, her husband, was already dead. So, you know, she didn't have a husband to take care of her. If Jesus dies, Mary could potentially end up being homeless and poor right and so for this reason Jesus entrust her care to one of his closest friends John right because we know from places from John chapter 4 like uh, places like Matthew chapter 4 verse 21 that James and John's who were brothers and that and that their father was well-to do and so Jesus entrust Mary's care to John whom you know in verse 26 is referred to the disciple whom Jesus loved and by appointing the Apostle John, as Mary's new son and she as his new mother, um, Jesus was fulfilling the most basic responsibility and the most sacred obligation that any son has ever had, and that's to ensure that someone takes care of his mother. I think this is a perfect picture and a perfect fulfillment of the fifth of the Ten Commandments, which, is, which says, honor your father and mother. So, What is the lesson for you and I in this story? Like, What can we learn from this story, Um, whether you're in ministry or not, you're a pastor or not? I mean, there's a principle here for us to grasp, and here it is. The principle is this, that you are never discharged from God's command to honor your father and mother. Let me say that again. You are never discharged from God's command to honor your father and mother." It's a convicting and really convicting thought, but but think about it, if Jesus, being in great agony and pain, could still make time to make arrangements for his mother to be taken care of, then you and I dare not ever turn our backs on our parents in their time of need. In fact, 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse eight has some very strong words for Christians who neglect to care for and honor their families. It says in that passage, it says, but those who wouldn't care for their relatives, especially those in their own household, have denied the true faith. Such people are worse than unbelievers. You know, the command in Exodus chapter 20, verse 12, that says, honor your father and mother so that you may live long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you, is is a command that is active all the days of your life till death do you part. This command, by the way, is also reiterated in the New Testament in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 2, which tells us you know, just how important God considers the way we treat our parents. Now, let me say this. There will come a time when you get married and you move out of your parents' home or you become financially independent when you will not be required to obey your parents' every instruction, right? Because you're an adult now. But listen, even in that case, the instruction to honor your parents still stands. Let let me make a distinction for you. Obeying your parents is active till you become independent of them. Honoring your parents is a lifetime duty. Did you get that difference? Obeying your parents and doing everything they say in obedience is active until you become independent of them. But honoring them is a lifetime duty. Practically speaking, you can honor your parents by making time in your schedule to spend time with them or at least calling them regularly, especially if you don't live at home, to check up on them. You can honor your parents by communicating how grateful you are for the way they raised you, whether you write it down or you speak it to them verbally. You can honor your parents by telling them in meaningful, creative creative ways that you still love them. You can honor your parents by supporting them financially when it's within your means. You can honor your parents by by uh by speak by only speaking well of them and never evil about them. You can honor your parents by genuinely seeking their counsel when you are looking for wisdom how to move forward. You can honor your parents by proactively offering acts of service to help them around their house. And if your parents have passed on, you can honor their memory by, you know, celebrating remembrance doing the remembrance of them. I want you to think about this as we conclude this podcast on this topic. The command to honor one's father and one's mother is the only commandment in the Ten Commandments that comes with the blessing. Every other commandment in the Ten Commandments simply says, do this, do this, do not kill, do not murder, do not steal. The fifth commandment, this commandment to honor your parents and mother, is the only one that has a blessing attached to it. It says, if you obey your parents, honor your mother and father, so you may live Long, I usually joke about this one when I preach at schools to children. I say, "Listen, if you don't want to die tomorrow, honor your father," which is probably not the best thing to say. But Ephesians chapter six, verse one to three, actually expounds on this. It says, "Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and you may enjoy long life on the earth." You see, your quality of life and the length of time you will enjoy that life is obviously dependent on your willingness to obey this command. The wisest decision you can make today is to heed this instruction, and for some of you, it may be as simple as starting with a phone call to your mom. So that's the story of Mary, this incredible, inspirational, humble woman who quite frankly, many of us pastors could learn from we could learn about humility from this woman, and if we would serve the church of Jesus Christ in the same manner that this woman humbly served the Lord by taking on herself this child and raising him up, men, the church would be a radically powerful powerhouse for the kingdom of God. May God bless you all as you live humble lives. Thanks again for listening to the Nigerian Pastors Podcast. For more information about our ministry, uh, you could visit our website, www.thegatheringfaithleadership.network. We are a pastoral training ministry in the city of Jos, Plateau State, Nigeria, and our mission is to encourage, equip, and strengthen pastors and ministry leaders. If you enjoyed this week's podcast and were blessed by it, there are one of two ways you can be a blessing to us in return. One, you can subscribe to our podcast on whatever streaming platform you're listening to us and leave an encouraging review and give us some great stars uh, telling us how much you enjoyed our podcast. That would mean a lot to us. And then two, you can actually visit the episode page of this week's podcast and share it on any of your social media platforms, whether it's Facebook, Instagram, WhatsApp, wherever, and let your friends know about us. We truly appreciate you and hope you were blessed by this. Thanks again for listening. We'll catch you up with you next week. Stay close to Christ.